General Milley, pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Fred. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. How long before you retire as chairman of the Joint Chiefs? Uh, just a couple weeks now. I retired by law at midnight on the 30th, and uh, so what is that, 18, 19 days, something like that. Um, and then what's the first thing you're going to do? Well, my wife and I will move um, out of our set of quarters on Fort Myer. Uh, then I intend to sleep, uh, <laughs> get rid of the bags under the eyes, and be the best grandfather I can be. All right, let's jump right into it. A lot of people on the Ukrainian side that I talked to last week when I was in Kyiv say, we don't understand. We asked for these weapons, um, let's say HIMARS, and the West or the United States says, no, 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 and then finally gives them to us. But it's now eight months or nine months later. Um, would we feel like the same thing is happening with ATACMS, the same thing is happening with F-16s. If you're going to give them to us, why not give them to us fast? Well, I think, you know, over, over the period of time, uh, we have given them a considerable amount of, uh, of military aid, about $40 billion worth so far. Uh, and there's uh, over $100 billion in total aid, uh, if you include monetary and humanitarian aid. So that's just the United States. The United States has been extraordinarily generous. With no, the it Indian has, people. but the question is, if you want them the, to win, well, yeah, and the speed, why not do it fast? Yeah, so the question is the speed. There's mechanical issues there in terms of how fast you can uh, marshal this equipment and how fast you can get it across the lines of communication from from uh, adjacent countries and then how fast they can absorb it. So uh, it, it's not just sprinkle magic dust and the stuff starts showing up. Uh, the other thing is need. So at the beginning of this war, uh, the greatest need uh, was for anti-armor weapons, for example, to stop the Russian offensive, and that's what they got. Uh, and then as they shifted into what the current operation is, their need were tanks, Bradleys, Leopards, uh, Gepards, those sorts of uh, you know mechanized and armored vehicles. Of, of various types, and, and the West was very generous in providing those. And then you have to have the training to go along with them, and spare parts, uh, the munitions that go with those things. So all of that does take a period of time to do. It's, it's not a question of, uh, you know, it just all shows up at once. What do you think of the current state of the counteroffensive? Do you think the Ukrainians are now beginning to push, push the Russians out of cities and towns? Well, I think they've been doing it uh, pretty consistently, absolutely, since uh, last summer. Uh, the winter uh, was a lot of fighting, but not a lot of movement. Uh, and then this offensive, uh, although slow, slower than the planners had anticipated, it has been steady. Um, and, and they have uh, made steady progress through these various defensive belts. And they have uh, fought hard up in Bakhmut. They fought uh, down in Donetsk. And, and of course, they're fighting uh, down in the vicinity of Zaporizhia. And, and, and down towards uh, uh, Melitopol and Mariupol and all that. So uh, it has been steady progress. Uh, what I said months ago was it was going to be long, hard, bloody, because uh, the nature of this particular fight uh, and, the, and the type of defense that the Russians put in and the capabilities of the, the Ukrainians uh, augured for a very, very difficult, uh, long, tough fight. But the Ukrainians have been doing that. They have a lot of combat power remaining. Uh, the Ukrainians are not a spent force. Uh, and there's sufficient uh, weather uh, uh, that allows them to continue the, uh, to, to achieve their steady progress. Uh, they have not failed. Uh, I know there's some commentary out there that somehow this offensive has failed. It hasn't failed. Uh, it's at least achieved partial success. They're already through several of these belts. Uh, and they've got time left, so we'll see where it goes. Uh, but the Ukrainians have demonstrated an incredible ability uh, of courage, resilience, toughness, and they are uh, slowly but steadily working the way through uh, some very, very difficult Russian defenses. So a realistic goal that, that many uh, uh, believe uh, the Ukrainians should have is essentially to gain access to the Sea of Azov, 
to, to or, uh, you know, go down south, Mariupol, that, mm -hmm. th that area, so that it frees up Odessa as the port they can then start freely exporting all their, their grain from. You believe that's doable? Well, we'll see. I, I think it's, uh, I, I wouldn't want to make a prediction on, uh, on that just yet. Uh, we'll see what happens. The, the, uh, again, there's uh, well over 200,000 uh, Russian troops uh, in Russian-occupied Ukraine. Uh, this offensive, uh, although significant, uh, has uh, operational and tactical objectives uh, that are limited in the sense that they do not, even if they are fully achieved, they don't completely kick out all the Russians, which is the broader strategic objective that President Zelensky had. That's going to take a long time to do that. Uh, that's going to be very significant effort Yours. over a considerable amount of time. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to put a time on it because a lot of things can happen in in, uh, in a war. That's action, reaction, counteraction. Uh, you could see a general collapse. You could see escalation. You could see. Uh, a lot of different things happen uh, in the future, uh, but I can tell you that uh, it'll take a considerable length of time to militarily uh, eject uh, all uh, all 200,000 or plus uh, Russian troops out of Russian-occupied Ukraine. That that's a that's a very high bar. It's going to take a long time to do it. You have said that China is on track to to have a military that might even be more uh, more powerful than the United States. That's their objective. That, and and you say they are moving in that direction. They're trying to move in that direction. Um, is it possible that we will look back and, and think that we overestimated them in the way that I remember uh, estimations of Soviet military power that in retrospect were wildly mm -hmm. sure. off? I remember the estimates of Saddam Hussein's military mm -hmm. that in retrospect were wildly off. Sure. Are we, you know, is it possible that because it's a bit of a black box and we don't know a lot that we tend to think our enemies are taller than they are? Absolutely. I mean, that's very possible. And, and the Chinese are not 10 feet tall. And, and, and notice, uh, I said that's their plan, that's their desire, that's their aspiration. Um, and, and if we stay still, if the United States stays still and the, and the United States military stays still and we don't modernize, uh, then, then there's a reasonable chance the Chinese would succeed in doing that. But uh, what, what you've seen, Fareed, is probably the largest shift in economic power in well over a century since the rise of the United States economically in the late 1800s. Uh, perhaps even multiple centuries, the rise of the West, or the fall of Rome, something like that. You've seen an enormous shift in global economic power to China, uh, beginning with the reforms of Deng Xiaoping in, in 79. I'm commissioned in, in 1980, so 45 years ago, um, the, the, the economics of the world began to shift. Uh, so today you've got the manufacturing capital of the world, uh, you know, with, without exception, is, is China. Uh, and in the wake of that shift in economic power, the Chinese took that money and have invested in making a world-class military. That's what they're trying to do. Uh, they want a military that's very capable in space, uh, in cyber, uh, and then the traditional domains of land, sea, and air. Uh, they've developed uh, you know, fourth and fifth generation uh, fighter bombers, really copying our designs. Uh, they're trying to develop a blue water navy, a subsurface navy. They've reformed their ground forces from an uh, infantry peasant-based army of the 1970s to a modern uh, army with multiple commands, et cetera. So they're on the path to do that. Uh, and their goal is to exceed the United States military capability in East Asia, uh, really by the end of this decade, uh, certainly by the middle of next decade. Uh, and they want the United States to uh, exit East Asia militarily and diplomatically. Uh, they want us to cease being the arbiter of uh, outcomes in, in Asia. Uh, and then, and they want to be the global challenger of the United States by mid-century. Uh, they want to meet or exceed 
uh, U.S. military capabilities by mid-century. So, but we're not going to stand still. Uh, the United States uh, is going to continue to modernize, continue to invest. And I know it sounds a bit like a bumper sticker, but uh, there is value in the, in the phrase peace through strength. So the objective here is deterrence. You don't want a great power war. Uh, we had a great power war in World War I. We had a great power war in World War II. Uh, we haven't had one in 80 years. Uh, and we need to make sure that we avoid a great power war. And China, uh, you know, can be evaluated a lot of different ways, but great power is certainly what they are. Economically, militarily, they're capable. Uh, and, and we should try our very best to avoid open armed conflict uh, with China. The most likely flashpoint is Taiwan. Uh, reports say Christian Bros's book, um, he was an aide to Senator McCain, mm -hmm. that the uh, Pentagon has done <clears throat> many, many war games over Taiwan. Uh, the U.S. has almost never won in those war games. Is it possible for the United States to repel a Chinese invasion of Taiwan? It's entirely possible, yeah. So I've, I've done uh, a massive amount of war games over the years. You know, I'm in my 44th year of service. Uh, war games start out with training objectives. A lot of times you're experimenting in them. You're introducing new capabilities. So you got to be careful with uh, the conclusions from quote unquote war games. They're typically not exactly free play uh, and they are designed to achieve certain outcomes uh, to begin with. So I would tell you a couple of things uh, in an unclassified way about uh, you know, Taiwan. Uh, first of all, we, the United States, still uh, maintain uh, the Taiwan Relations Act, uh, the communiques and assurances that go with that. Uh, and, and we, the United States, uh, want a peaceful outcome between Taiwan and, and the People's Republic of China. Uh, and whatever that is between those two peoples, uh, that's the U.S. desire, right, as long as it's done peacefully. Uh, so, but militarily, uh, I think China would make a, a grave strategic mistake if they attempted to attack to seize the island of Taiwan. That's not the only option, by the way. Uh, but to attack and seize the island of Taiwan is a very, very high bar. It's the most complex of all operations to do. Uh, and frankly, the Chinese military capability uh, is probably not there right this second to do that. Uh, President Xi, in, in public unclassified uh, you know, speeches has challenged the People's Liberation Army and Navy and Air Force to uh, develop that capability by 2027 is what he said. Uh, it used to be the 2030s and he moved it to 2027. That doesn't mean he made a decision to do it, uh, but that means that he wants them to have the capability to do it. And what that also means is they don't have the capability right this second, at least in his mind.